You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. You could turn in your Bibles, if you want, to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read this passage about meeting together, which is kind of the, the subject we're talking about all this month. It's ecclesiology, the study of the church. And so Hebrews 10 says this. It's a, it's, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we prof- profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let's, let's hold on to the hope because God is faithful. Verse 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. And then this, this final verse, verse 25, is a verse that I've underlined in my Bible to, to remind me of the importance of church and just meeting together. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray this morning. God, we do thank you for, for what you've done in our lives, that, that this place as, as New Life Church is a community where it's safe and we're free to worship you. God, we pray that we, we as the Mill Sunday School may glorify you, that we may be considered the church and considered a good example of the church and, and called to what we've been created to be as this community that worships you wholeheartedly. And so, God, we praise you this morning. We're excited to learn about who we are, who you've called us to be as the church. And so we love you and we praise you. And everybody screamed. Amen. Dude, there must be a sale on bagels back there today. There's still a lot of people back there. It's good. Uh, they're free, by the way, if you don't know that. Um, but if you're, if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, you may not know that. We have free food and coffee back there. If you want to fill out a visitor card, there's visitor cards on all the tables if you fill one of those out and, and as you leave, give it to the nice people as you're leaving, they'll give you a gift. It's just a, a CD with some of uh, New Life Church's worship music on it. It's a, a welcome CD. And you can get on our email list and we could email you about upcoming things and that kind of thing. If you want me to call you, there's a little box on there. I'll call you this week. So that's kind of fun. But uh, the Mill Sunday School, if you are new, is this community where we, we, we don't do worship like music. This isn't a service, like a church service. We, we don't really have a liturgy. What the Mill Sunday School is all about is teaching, is learning, is about is taking another step in theology. And we think that's really important around here. That's why we've, we've done the Mill Sunday School for years now. And, and that's what we're all about. We, we have services like the Mill on a Friday night is our college ministry. We have our Sunday morning service. Uh, right after this, you can go walk over to our main service and experience worship, and, and we'll do church as a community. But this is also church. This is, this is kind of like a classroom setting. And so if you're new to Sunday school, that's what this is all about. It's taking another step in theology and learning and teaching, that kind of thing. Sound fun? That's, I think that's kind of why we're here. So this morning, all this month, we're going to be t- studying the topic of ecclesiology. And that's a big word. And sometimes big words have short definitions. Do you know the short definition for ecclesiology? Study of the church. Study of the church. And so working with this definition, and and so today we're going to define the word church. But ecclesiology seems easier to define than church because ecclesiology is just the study of church. And so, like, what could we talk about all this month that we're talking about ecclesiology? Could we, I don't know that we'll get to all these things, but could we talk about denominations? Sure, that's part of the church. Could we talk about uh, church membership? Sure, that's a part of it. Could we talk about sacraments? Sure, that's part of it. Could we talk about the early church? Sure. And in fact, we did last week. Jordan was here, and we talked about the early church and how they worshiped and how that's 
uh, how they did things. We don't have to do things just like they did. They, they can kind of model things for us, but it doesn't have to be the model for us that we can model our own things and be relevant to our own um, church uh, society and, and who we are. So that's the study, ecclesiology, the study of the church. And, and I think sometimes um, the, the importance of, of our definitions of words is, is fun. It's, it's this, this thing where we can, when we define simpler terms, we can understand things to a greater level, even though they're simple things. So we're going to define church here in, in a minute. Um, and it's sometimes I put this statement up there as the simpler words are often harder to define. And so I remember way back in the day, uh, when I was a little fourth grader, little Joey Kirkendall, a little fourth grader, and I, Mrs. Neal was our uh, Mrs. Neal was our fourth grade teacher, and uh, I remember two things about her. Well, three things. One, she picked her nose, <laughs> and so it was like a little fourth grade boy. We'd always just like eh, she's doing it, and we'd like look and like eh, she's picking her nose. Oh my gosh, she just wiped it on the desk, and we're just like, is the fourth grader? That's like the funniest thing in the world. And the other thing, she was the best teacher in the world because her husband, Mrs. Neal's husband, owned an ice cream truck, Mr. Whippy's ice cream, and so every once in a while, Mr. Whippy, Mr. Neal. Uh, the husband of the teacher would just sh- surprise the class and he'd pull his ice cream truck into the church, into the uh, school parking lot, come in and say, everybody who wants ice cream? And we'd all go running and screaming out to the parking lot and get whatever we wanted from this ice cream truck. And as a fourth grader, that's like heaven. It was awesome. And so I remember those two things. And the third thing I remember about Mrs. Neal is that she really didn't like science. She was supposed to teach, you know, like every fourth grader learns history and math and uh, science and, and spelling, etc. And we hardly did any science. And for me as a little fourth grader, I was really bummed because I loved and still do love science. And I was like, why, like are we going to do any lab stuff? Are we going to blow anything up? Are we going to do cool hands-on things? She's like, eh, not so much. She just wasn't, she just, she liked history and spelling, which I don't like history and spelling. But, and those were like, she taught those things. And so I remember this one time, this lesson that we started doing that ended up being really good, but at first it was really dumb in Mrs. Neal's class because she's like, all right, everybody open up your science books. He's like, yes, we're going to study science. And then she asked the question, what is a chair? (laughs) And I was sitting there like, are you serious right now? Like, this is science. What is a chair? It ended up being a really cool lesson, but it took a while to get there. And it took a while for me to understand why this lesson was, was cool. But I'm like, oh my gosh, are you serious? What's a chair? It's something you sit on. Duh, Mrs. Neal. Get your husband out in the parking lot so we can have some ice cream. <laughs> and I was like, it's, a, it's, it's something you sit on. And then she was like, okay, it's something you sit on. That's the definition of a chair. And she said, well, what about a log? can you sit on a log? And you're like, yeah, you can sit on a log, but that's, a log isn't a chair. Don't be dumb, Mrs. Neal. Uh, this, this is so dumb. This isn't science. And, and so like, what's a chair? And, and we're just like, well, I guess it's some, it, you have, it has to have four legs. A chair is something you sit on that has four legs. And so a log is not a chair because it doesn't have four legs. And so she said, well, what about a chair that doesn't have four legs? And I have a picture of like a cool moderny chair. There's no legs. It just kind of bends and is the bottom of itself. And so it was like, well, what's the, uh, this is a chair, this red thing, that, that is a chair, right? Is that a chair? Yeah, it's a chair. It doesn't have four legs, though. And so according to the definition, like, oh, a chair has four legs, something you sit on, 
Well, scratch the four-leg things. Usually they have four legs. I mean, we all know what a chair is, right? I mean, you'd say chair. Yeah, you don't think about the definition of a chair. But I guess it doesn't have to have four legs. And then we got into this idea of like, well, this thing is made to sit in, whereas the log was, is just a tree. It's not made to sit on. So it's something about the intention. If something is intended to be sit on, sat upon, then it is a chair. And so he's like, okay, so it might have four legs, and it's something that's intended to be sat upon. And she's like, well, what about a couch? And we're like, no, that's, a, that's not a chair. That's a couch. And she's like, well, it holds to the definition you gave, that it has four legs, and it's something, or it sometimes has four legs, and it's intentionally made to sit on. We're like, well, it's only, a chair is only for one person. And she's like, okay, well, what about this? And it's a stool. And it's like, well, that's, that holds to all the definitions. It, it, it Sometimes, like, that has four legs, but it doesn't have a back. And so this exercise, I remember this exercise, maybe it was only like five minutes of, of talking about what a chair was, but I remember in my head as a little fourth grader, I remember it taking hours to figure out what a chair, or define a chair, and, and <laughs> I was like, what'd you do today in, in school? We defined what a chair was. <laughs> but it was this, looking back, it was this cool exercise, like the definition of a word means something. It, it's, it's, and so we, the, you get this long definition for a chair because you have all these examples of things that have to fit or not fit within the definition of what this thing is. Is it or is it not a chair? And so you get this long definition of chair. It's a noun. It's an intended seat, especially for one person, because two people could sit on it, but it's intended for one person. And it usually has four legs, but, you know, there's some modern art chairs that don't have any legs. Uh, and it has four legs for support, has a backrest, and it often has arms. It doesn't need to have arms. But uh, So you get this long definition for this simple word. And so what I want to do to you now is what Mrs. Neal did to me in fourth grade. Not the ice cream truck, but to torture you with, with defining a simple word. So I want you to define what is the church. Because we talk about church all the time, don't we? We're like, what's the church? Oh, we're going to church, and this is the church building. Don't cuss in church. Don't do this in church, but you can do that in church. Um, uh, what is the church? And then so many of us know, like, oh yeah, we, we know that if we've been coming to church long enough that, oh, the building isn't the important thing. The building is who we are, who, who the community of Christ. But it's just the community of Christ. Is that a good definition? Then you start getting into, like, what about this? What about that? And so what I want to do is to kind of torture you a little bit, but hopefully it'll be a fun fun torture um in in your groups and so if you're a big group invite people uh to sit in your group if you're if seated um just by yourself just say hey can i join your group and i promise they'll be nice and let you join if not come up here and and i'll yell at them um but but to talk in a group okay define church and so on your on your 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 notes that you got today the first point is define church so in that space i want one of you as a table to write down a definition and then kind of play devil's advocate. Like, well, what about this? Does that, is this a definition? But that, that doesn't really work. So I want, to, I want you to really work on a good definition, a precise definition uh, of the word church. Got it? Ready, get set, go. Define church. Coming to a clearing in the brighter 
Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to let you go back to discussing, but I want to ask you if your definition is, in fact, a definition or if it's an analogy. Because I think if we're defining church, we often want to say, oh, it's, it's the body of Christ. It's the nation of believers. It's, an or, it's whatever. But a body of Christ, that's more of a, an analogy, not a definition. How many of you put the body of Christ? Anybody? couple people it's okay I, I i when i thought of church it was like the body of christ but that's a good analogy but it's really not a body i mean the the, the analogy is in the bible so it's a biblical analogy but i want you to work on a definition so i'm just going to give you another 60 seconds wrap it up and then and then i'm going to have a few of you read the definition that you gave ready get set back to work Does anybody want to, uh, I think we're going to have some mics. We got mics back there, dudes and dudette in the tech booth. Uh, we got mics here. Okay, uh, get Patrick's and, and Matthew's attention. And if you would, hopefully we'll get like maybe three or four people to just read. Just stand up and read. You don't have to, to give a, a speech. You don't have to give a toast. You just have to just read what your group wrote. Anybody want to start us off? Be the first, first group to read. Thank you. Alright, um, the one we came up with is a collection of two more believers that come together to worship or learn about God or to do both. Okay, good. Collection, let me, let me repeat it back. A collection of two or more believers yeah. that come together to worship God. Or learn about God. Or to or, do both. Learn about God. Sweet. It's a good definition. Anybody else? Let's have a couple more. Yeah, that table. And then maybe a table over here. This table next. Kenny G. His, his name is Kenny Garcia. Sorry. Agrasha, I mean. Sorry, done that before. Yes. Okay, church is the building where people come and worship and learn about God. And where they get, is it on? Yeah, you're, you're like, I hear you. Where people get saved, healed, get cast out from demons, and perform miracles. Cool. Pray tongues. That's a good definition. Long one. Thank you. So it included, it's the building, people come together, worship God, and, and, the, and a few other things you mentioned. Yes. 
Kenny Grasha. Kenny <laughs> G. Um, a gathering of Christian believers in which worship and fellowship is intended and usually sacraments are taken. Good. Oh, wait, say it one more time if you don't mind. I don't. Um, church is a gathering of Christian believers, believers in which worship and fellowship is intended worship and usually fellowship. sacraments are taken. Good. Worship, fellowship, sacraments. That's good. Great definition. One more? Or have we exhausted the, the number of people that want to stand up? It's not that hard. What about all these people? You guys, I'll call on you. Give the mic to one of them. My wife's over there. Give it to my wife. <laughs> well, church is a noun. Church is a noun. Thank you, Aaron Higgins. A gathering of religious or Christian believers that come together to express their faith. Gathering to come together, express their faith. Good. Thank you guys for, for reading your definitions. Here, I want to, um, so uh, like the chair thing, like put up things that, that seem like they're part of the definition of a chair, but may help us think in a different way. And so does your definition, so I'm not picking on anyone that read their definition, I think, um, but maybe your definition was just like a gathering of people that they come together, they're single-minded, and they, they do good things. So would your definition include or not include uh, these groups? I'm just going to list three to engage our thoughts. But a philip I always have problems saying this word, philanthropic, philanthropic society, which is a big word for just a society or a group of people that get together and do good things. Like, for instance, a soup kitchen, people that get together and run a soup kitchen. And maybe they talk about, you know, helping the homeless. They, they, but, but is your definition of church, re-look re at your definition of church and say, would just an, an organization that comes together to do good be part of your definition? But, or should we be more specific and say, oh, it's a Christians that come, they have to be Christian. But, but what if, what if uh, would your definition include people that just come together, they're seekers, people that come together and don't really believe what's going on, but are just here for some other reason. Let me give you a, a, a good example, a weird example, but, but a good one, I think, because the example is weird because the girl was weird. Um, and we all know weird girls. We're not picking on weird girls right now. Uh, we're picking on one particular weird girl. Uh, when I was, in, I used to, uh, I was a part of a college a group, a college Christian, it was the Methodist Student Union for Florida State Seminary a long time ago, and there was this girl that came, and, and what was so weird about this situation was, well, she was a little weird, and, and she kind of had trouble making friends, kind of socially weird, but um, the church should be a place where we're, we accept people no matter what, right? Right, we accept people. And so she did not believe in God, did not believe in Jesus, but she felt welcomed and um, that people loved her, and, uh, and so she had friends that went to this church, which is just really cool, because here, here a non-believer is coming to church, and she's professing, I don't believe in your God, but I, I just like hanging out with you guys. And she didn't have a car, so she would get rides from, from people in, in the church. And so she'd come to church, and instead of like sitting and listening to the sermon, she'd be outside smoking uh, cigarettes the whole time. And then she'd come in, and then we, we'd either go out to lunch, and she'd come along, or as soon as church ended, she'd just come in, and, and, and she'd you know, hang out with us. And we had a Wednesday uh, on, on the Florida State campus, this college ministry. We had a free lunch Wednesdays where you could just come and get a free lunch. And so she always came to those. And she was just all, always, she came to Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday uh, for lunch, Wednesday night for our service, and she came to Sunday morning just to be around. And she'd always say, oh, you guys believe that. I don't really believe that, but 
um, can, can I get a ride to here? Or can, let's go hang out. Let's have lunch. Um, and so she was just seeking. And so she coming to church. She was a part of a community, but she didn't believe herself. So she, would she be a part of the church? So does your definition, would that include or disclude her? The, the next one is, uh, the, the third one I'm going to give you for thought-provoking ideas is the Mormons. Um, and we talked, uh, if you want to get the, the CDs, we, we podcast all the Sunday School Talks. And so a, a couple of weeks ago, actually it's a couple of months ago now, we talked about uh, Mormons for two Sundays in a row. And we talked about how they have foundational differences between what they believe and what we believe when it comes to Christology, theology, who God is, the Bible, etc. There's differences there, uh, foundational differences. But look, re-look at your definition of what you wrote down. Would your definition include the Mormons? Because Mormons gather, and they go to church, they, they uh, worship, they would say, do you worship God, Jesus? Yeah, they worship Jesus. Do they uh, take sacraments? Yeah, they take sacraments. They, they do it very differently than we do it, but they, you know, they meet on Sundays. And so what is the definition of a church? Oh, I have one more, actually. The, the last one is the Baptists. Would your definition, and think about it, if your definition was so specific, like the church is when we come together at New Life and we listen to New Life worship music and it has to be led by one of the Parsley brothers or John Egan, then that's the church. It's like, well, what about, uh, what about other denominations? And so your definition should include the Baptists, whereas I would think uh, the definition of church should disclude Mormons. It should disclude just seekers. It should disclude uh, just philothan- phil- dang it, philothantrip, phil- phil- anthropic societies. Man, I'm struggling up here. So, the, the definition of a church. And so I, I, I know that we as the Mill Sunday School are not the first group in history to ever define the church and to think about the church. In fact, I want to bring up the, the Nicene Creed. And the, the Nicene Creed, there's a picture of some dudes meeting. They all have white hats on, which I'm not sure is exactly if that's how it really was or not, whether at the Nicene Council they had the white hats on or not. But the Council of Nicaea and the Nicene Creed is something that's very important for us as believers. If you don't know a little bit about the history um, of the church, you probably know that in the book of Acts, people were um, Christians were, it was illegal to be a Christian. The Roman Empire persecuted them for being a Christian. And we have this period from the book of Acts until about the 300s AD, about 300 years of persecution from the Roman Empire to Christians. And then this emperor becomes a Christian, the first emperor of Rome to become a Christian. His name is? Yes. There's a lot of nerds in here, and I, I think that's a really good thing. Because most people don't know that. But most, some of you did. And so Constantine, the first Roman Empire, who was a Christian, um, he legalized Christianity. And so, and so he pulled together, he helped pull together Christians of representative Christians over all the known world. And so the, the Council of Nicaea was 300 plus people gathering together. It was the first ecumenical council. Ecumenical means uh, a worldwide council. They pulled together uh, bishops and leaders and area leaders of, of the cities of Christians, pulled together and said, okay, what do we believe? And they came up with the Nicene Creed. How many of you are familiar with the Nicene Creed? Lots of us are. We, we as, as Christians, I think if you're a Christian, you believe in the Nicene Creed. If you're a Christian, you're claiming to be a Christian, you say, yeah, I don't really agree totally with the Nicene Creed. There's probably some big problem 
and uh, like what what don't you believe exactly? Um, and so the Nicene Creed is really important creed in in our belief system, and it has a line in there about what the church is, which we'll get to in a second. So here's the Nicene Creed. I, I grew up in a in a traditional church where we read this every single Sunday. Anybody else go to been to a church like that where they read it every single Sunday? I think Lutherans. I was just at a Lutheran service, and and they 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 read it aloud. I think they do it every single Sunday. Lots of other denominations do it as well. Um, but I thought we could do it for, for, to remind ourselves of what we believe, the Nicene Creed. Read it together in unison. And towards the very end, I'll, I'll highlight the, 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 the line in there that has to do specifically with the church. So let's read it together. Can you see it up there? It starts off with, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary. He was made man. And then there's some more here. Uh, for our sakes, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. And here's the line. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. It's a big statement. It's, it fits two PowerPoint pages of stuff, and um, it's, it, ta- it took us a little while to read through it, so there's a lot there. And the line I want you to see, it's now in red, it says, we believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. And, and those four words are, are what we're going to spend the rest of Sunday school, we have about a half hour, to define church, and I want to argue that those four words in some way should be in your definition. I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I thought about giving you a definition of church that, that we'll use in the Mill Sunday School, but I think we're, it's going to be an ongoing conversation this month of how we're going to define church, the purpose of church, etc. But I think whatever our definition of church, and many of your definitions included all or most of those four points, that the church is one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And so in your notes, if you're taking notes, um, you could fill in the blanks. There's, there's four blanks. Uh, it says something like uh, the church should have these four things. And so uh, list each one, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And we're going to talk about each one of these. We're going to spend the, the rest of Sunday school defining each one of these one by one. And so the first one is that the church is one. The church is one. And what we mean by that, what the creed means by that, is that it's one church. It's not two churches. It's not churches. It's not a divided church. Um, the church is an organization of unity. And some of you, I, I, as you read your definitions, I, I can re- recall back, and some of you had the words fellowship in there. 
Some of, some of you had the words unity in your definition of what you think church should be. But I use the word organization just because that's a common word. that It's a, it's a word that the secular world would use. Like we are, an organ, we're organizing here. And we are an organization of unity. Which the church is very different than, say, a uh, organized group of stockholders. Let's say a group of stockholders get together and they want to vote about a stock. Well, everyone's there because they own the stock. But you can sell stocks, right? And so you could just get out of the group and there's not that much unity in a stock. I've never been to a stockholder share meeting, but I just imagine from the TV shows that I've seen of stockholder meetings, they're, they're, there's not that much unity. Everyone's there because they want to make money and they want to vote independently and you could sell your stocks and get out of the club. There's, there's not really any unity there. Let me give you another example of what the church is not. The church is not like the Hindu beliefs. In Hinduism, I just came back from India not too long ago. Anybody else go on meal missions this summer? I see those hands. Yes, yes. Anyways, I get excited about missions. Um, so I came back from India. India is, is Hindu uh, by, by uh, popularity, or I don't know how to say that. India is mainly a Hindu nation. And in Hinduism, it's, they don't get together and meet weekly. Like we're getting together and we meet weekly, we talk, we worship together. Hinduism, there's nothing like that. Like they'll, they'll go by themselves to a temple and, and pay respects to a god, or they'll have a shrine in their own home. Or if you're, if you're really wealthy as a Hindu, you could have your own room, a set-aside room in your house where you have a shrine uh, to Shiva or Vishnu or one of the Hindu gods. And you go in there alone by yourself, usually every morning, sometimes in the evenings, and you uh, worship that god. You, you might put the, 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 the red on the god and then, and then take that red paint stuff and put red paint on your head, representing this third eye, the spiritual eye. And, and you do, you, that, that's, your, that's your church kind of, it's, that's your experience. You do that individually. And there's no weekly like gathering, there's no unity like we have unity in the church. And what I think the definition of church is Jesus has called us to be in, in unity, which I just think is, is very different. And that's why, just on a side note, like Hinduism, like some Hindus believe that they're polytheists. That means what? Worshipping lots of gods. Hindu, or excuse me, Vishnu, uh, Krishna, uh, Shiva, they're polytheists. And then other Hindus will tell you, no, we're actually monotheists. We believe that those gods that I just mentioned are just faces of one god. You're like, well, what are you? Polytheists? Are you monotheists? And then there's other Hindus that say, no, we are actually, it might sound weird, but we are actually atheists. We don't believe, that, we believe that those gods are just spirits and, and there is no god and our intention is to reach nirvana where we experience nothingness. So there's really not any god at all. It's like, what in the world? Here's a whole religion where, are you polytheists? Well, some would say yes, and some would say no. Are you monotheists? Some would say yes or no. Are you atheists? Some would say yes. Like, what in the world? Like, that's the most, ba- like, well, who do you believe in? Like, are you a religion? Or are you just in a bunch of independent people worshiping independent gods? And, and that's what it is. It's, there's no unity like there is in the Christian church. And, and, um, and so the Christian church is one. It's, it's an organization of unity. The next point here, some of you added this into your definition, the, the idea of that we fellowship, and that's an important part of church, that we get to, that's, there's food back there, and, and we sit at tables as far as the Mill Sunday School, and we go out to eat afterwards, and we celebrate the sacrament which is the, of communion, which is sharing a meal together, the body and blood of Christ. Like we, we do think, we worship and sing songs, we gather together, and 
that's how we do things. Fellowship is not just, oh, that's what we do after church sometimes. Like, no, there, there's conversations, there's, we pray for each other, and that is a part of living our life together and having this fellowship. It's an important part of the definition of the church. Um, the church, I'm going to read this, this passage of Scripture for you to remind us of how Christ called us to be one. And this is John 17, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He starts off in verse 20 saying, My prayer is not for them alone. He's referring, he's praying for his disciples, the twelve, or I guess it would be eleven at that point because Judas was off betraying him. But my, Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. And I pray also for, for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's that? That's us. Yeah, so we believe in Jesus through the testimonies of the Gospels, the, the, the apostles, the disciples, etc. So that's us. So what does Jesus want? What is Jesus praying for us about? Well, listen. Verse 21 says that all of them might be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23. I in them, you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. There's that word again. To let the world know that you have sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. And so there's this passage. Jesus wants us. What does Jesus want from us as the church? He wants us to be one. He wants us to be in unity so the world will see that, that Jesus is real and that you have loved me. Like there's something we're being called, intentionally defined as this organization, that's our word, um, that's in unity. And then we, I did mention this. Uh, the church is one. This idea of we are a body with many members. And I mentioned that already as an analogy that we can use for church. But uh, like Romans 12 says, Romans 12, 4 says, just as uh, each of us has one body with many members, other versions say parts, like an eye, a hand, a foot, a hair is a part of the body. Um, just as we, we all have one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And so the church is, so I think this includes denominations, like different churches look different, like the eye is the eye part of our body, but the foot is the foot part of our body, and they're both, you know, we, the, you know, the body kind of, you need the eye to see, you need the foot to walk, and, and so just like you need the, the Baptists to be the Baptists, I think, and that you need the Charismatics to be the Charismatics, you need the Lutherans to be the Lutherans. And even within this church, this community, there's people that are more the teacher-ish, there's people that are more worship-ish, there's people that are led to pray for other people, just different giftings. And that's all good. It all falls within this definition of what the church should be. The church should be one. So the four words, one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic, we talked about one. The next one, the church is holy. And the word used here in the Greek um, for, for the Nicene Creed is agion. And it means to be, as used in the creed, dedicated to God or sacred, uh, set apart from those that are not of the faith. And so we as the church should look different than the world. We should be different. We should, as individual members, our life should be different than say, our co co-workers or our classmates who, who do things that we wouldn't do. We would consider them immoral, but by God's grace, we abstain from certain things. And so Paul wrote about this. Uh, I have an example here. Paul to the Corinthians. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is this passage that's kind of a nasty passage of the Bible 
I say nasty because it gets into sexual sin and it, it calls this guy out. It says, the passage is usually has the headline, expel immorality within you. And it's, it's, it's this guy in Corinth. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians, their church there, and there's this guy there. There's no, there's no way to just gently break into the subject, but there's a guy in the church having sex with his mom. <laughs> Everybody say, what? So it's, it's either his mom-in-law or his own mother. We're not sure. The Greek is unsure. Many scholars say mother-in-law because that with your own mother is just worse. But, but whatever, it, sorry to bring that up, but it's in the Bible. So, so there's this guy in Corinth having sexual relations with his mother-in-law or his mom. But we're not sure. It just says mother. And, and here, here's what Paul writes. Paul writes, the whole, you could read this whole chapter later, but it's about expelling him from, from, from your membership. It starts off with this. It's 1 Corinthians 5, 9 says, I've written you, so Paul's writing you in my letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people. But then he clarifies, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. So he's not saying, uh, you know, I, I, do, do not, don't hang out. In my words, don't hang out with sexually immoral idolaters, greedy swindlers, idolaters. Don't hang out with them. But I'm not referring to your non-Christian friends. Because... If, if that were the case, then let's say you're going to school and you have to do a class project with a group of classmates and, and one of them is sexually immoral. It's like, I oh, can't be a part of this group, can't do the class project. Um, Paul's saying, no, I'm not referring to the people of this world. If, if that were the case, you'd have to leave the world. The, the world is sinful. Verse 11, but I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler, with such a man, don't even eat. And at verse 12, he says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? A rhetorical question, rhetorical answer being, Yeah, we are. We're, called, we're not called to judge the world. And like, how you guys are really bad out there. No, but within the church, within this community, there's leadership and there's, there's the processes that so much so that, that verse 13 says, God will judge those outside but expel the wicked man from among you. And he's specifically, you could read the context of this, specifically referring to that guy who's in sexual, sexual immorality. Expel him from among you. Don't let him keep doing what he's doing, thinking that it's okay. okay. He goes on, you could read in, in chapter 6 of Corinthians, I believe, or it's at the end of chapter 5, where he says, we want to expel him so that he can repent and then come back. We don't just want to send him out, but we still want to love and care for this guy who's in sexual sin with his mom of all things. Gosh, like what? Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. It's weird. But anyways, um, so the church is to be holy. It's, it's to be one church. We're to be in unity. We're to be holy. The next part, the church is Catholic. And we always have to say, as we are Protestants, we always have to clarify and say that the word Catholic actually means universal or, or global. And, and because when we hear the word Catholic in 2010 and at New Life Church, we just think, oh, the, the Roman Catholic Church. But, and even today, I think Brady is going to read the Apostles' Creed today in Big Church, if you go to Big Church in a few minutes. And in the Apostles' Creed is the word Catholic. And I think Brady, uh, I'm in one of these meetings where he, he prepares his sermons and gets ideas. And he said, I have to stop at that point and say, we, it's, the word here means universal or global, um, to clarify. Um, so the word Catholic, in the Greek, there's the Greek word up there for you Greek scholars. Um, Catholicos. In the Greek, as used in the Nicene Creed, from the word Catholic, it's derived meaning universal. We just said that. 
The Greek word derives from the Greek, the Greek phrase kata holos, kata meaning according to, holos meaning whole. And it was used to describe the Christian church in the early 2nd century, which is 100 years before this creed was even made. And I would argue hundreds, at least 200 years from, from, from what I've studied of church history, I would say that this word Catholic as used to describe the church, the universal church, was used several hundred years before the Catholic, the Holy Roman Catholic Church as we know it today was even formed. And I would argue that the Holy Roman Catholic Church um, has, uh, the, the, the Pope is the big deal, is the divine authority in the Holy Roman Catholic Church. And I would argue that the first Pope being the bishop in Rome, having authority over all other bishops of other cities wasn't really established until, I would argue, Pope Leo in the 400s. What does all that mean? Well, that means that we are using the word Catholic today, and I would say, argue from history, that the word in the Nicene Creed, when they said Catholic, really meant universal. That's what the Greek word meant. The the Holy Roman Catholic Church, as we know it, wasn't around yet. So all that to explain what I just said, that the word Catholic means universal. When you hear that word, don't get crazy. Don't think, oh, it's the Roman Catholic Church, like St. Joseph's downtown. No, we are a part of the universal church. Furthermore, here's what we mean by that. If you're writing down a definition, you could write down, the church is not limited by place, time, or society. And you probably add other words in there as well, but we at New Life Church are just as much the church as a church meeting in Korea or in Africa or in India. Right? Right. Well, there's... That we don't, we, like, if we just narrow ourselves down and say, oh, the church has to be like this, and, you know, the best church is when uh, John Egan and Brad Parsley, they will lead worship, and that's really the church. And if you're going to a church where they don't raise their hands, well, then that's not the church at all. That's, that's something else. Like, no, that's, maybe they don't raise their hands, but maybe they, they do something else that, maybe a piece that we don't have. Maybe they say the Nicene Creed every single week, and we don't do that. But, but maybe you go to a church where they say the Nicene Creed every week, and you come to New Life, and you're like, you didn't say the Nicene Creed. You guys aren't part of the real church. And it's like, no, the church looks different. It's, it's, it's one body with many members, and it's not limited by place, time, or society. The church is universal. It's Catholic. And so it's, it's not limited by um, society, or time, or place, or you know, how you do things, or the culture of the church. Does that make sense? So, reviewing, the the church is one, we believe in one, holy, Catholic, the final word, apostolic church. The church is apostolic. And what we mean by that is the church is basing itself off the pure preaching of the word as in accordance with the apostles, the disciples, how they saw Jesus, taught about Jesus, that your definition of the church has to include, and many of you did when, when we did the exercise of defining church, you said it, you, you, need to, you need to believe in the Bible, you know, like Bible believing, or you need to believe in the right teachings of, of the gospel. You, you can't have someone, you know, like let's just use the Nicene Creed. If, if a church is gathering together and they say, yeah, we don't believe in the Nicene Creed, we don't really believe that Jesus is God, and we don't really believe in the Bible, but we're going to call ourselves a church and we're going to help the homeless. And you're like, to that you'd say, well, you're really more of a, that word, philanthropic community, more, you're that, you're not the church, because the church needs to, according to the definition in, 
in the Nicene Creed that church needs to be apostolic, meaning coming from the, the right teaching of the apostles. And so I think that's, this point is, is really close to my heart, that we would know theology, we would know what we believe, that we as the Mill Sunday School, and I think the, the Mill Sunday School is, is a great thing. I think if you were just to look at the church and, and make these statements like, yeah, the, most people in the church don't even know what they believe. I think that that statement is, is overblown, but I think there's some truth to that, that, you know, you ask the average Christian, what do you really believe? And they'll be able to say a few things, but maybe they won't be able to explain it and really know it like the Mill Sunday School. You, so I'm just so proud of you guys and, and proud of you for taking theology and teaching and what is apostolic, the right teaching of the gospel very seriously. And, and that there's a statement in, the, in your notes, if you look on the back, we always have a sweet quote. And the sweet quote today is by a guy named Carl Barth. Uh, if you know who he is, you are definitely a cool nerd, and I like you, because he's uh, this big, theolo- big German theologian that wrote Dogmatics, this huge encyclopedia theological textbook, and it's really cool. But he said, The Church of Jesus Christ, there can and should be no non-theologians. There shouldn't just be people coming in and, 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 and watching and like, Hey, what do you believe? Yeah, it doesn't matter what we believe. No, you, you need to know what you believe. We need to know what is right teaching. We need to know um, the difference between correct teaching and not correct teaching. We need to know the difference between truth and heresy. I'll, I'll give you one scripture, Second Peter 2, verse 1 starts off with, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who... Who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. <clears throat> Verse 2. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. This idea that heresy needs to be weeded out. We need, as believers, as, a, as we are defining ourselves as the church, we need to have correct teaching. We need to know what that teaching is, and that defines us. And so we believe the church is. So now when you see that in the creed, and you're like, what, is, what does that mean? What is the church? If you have to define the church with someone, and they're defining it, you, you have some sort of a criteria, criteria, at least these four words in which to work with, that we believe the church is one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And as we define church, I think going back to the, the chair definition, we looked at a picture of a log and said, is a log a chair? Because you could sit on it. You'd say, no, a log isn't a chair because it's not made to sit on. And in that same way, I think we could talk about what the intention of the church is. So I just want to leave you with this thought that the church isn't, um, the church is not, uh, not what it was or what it is, but the church is what it should be. And I think we can get so wrapped up in, you know, like when, when we have a church, church split. And we're like, oh, the church isn't being the church. And you're right. The church, you know, we're splitting. We're not being united. But the church was intended for unity. I have several statements here. I think sometimes we as the church are not the most united. You know, we, have, we make fun of uh, different denominations. We, we break apart over silly reasons just because oh, I want to do it this way. I want to do it this way. Let's, let's, let's break up. Let's not be in unity just because of this opinion. And that's not cool. It's not what we are intended to be as the church. So we're not the most united. We're not the most one. 
sometimes, even though that word defines us. The next word is holy. Sometimes we are not that separate from the world. Sometimes we preach things and we don't act according to our own preachings. Sometimes we as the church mess up. We make bad decisions. We sin. Sometimes we're not the most holy, but we're intended to be holy. That's part of what defines us. We have this intention. We have this goal of being holy. The next word, one, holy, Catholic. Sometimes we often get trapped in our own little club. You know, we do. We just, either it's within the church and we have, you know, our friends. We don't want to talk to anybody else because they're not our friends. We don't say it like that, but we, sometimes we kind of act like that. We get trapped in our own little club. And even more so, we get trapped in our own little thinking that the world is much bigger. The, the Christian church is much bigger. And the, the Africans worshiping Jesus, the Indians worshiping Jesus, the Chinese worshiping Jesus are just as much a part of the church as we at New Life in Colorado Springs are. So one, holy, Catholic, the final one, apostolic. I think sometimes we don't know theology like we should. We, 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 do, we don't know. We can't explain it well. But we're intended to, to be apostolic. We're intended to, to live under the right teaching of the gospel. And so the point being made is don't give up on church. And this idea that, that church is very important and that I'll, I'll whet your appetites for next week, this idea that because God himself is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he created us in his image, I think the church is a part of that, that we need community in order to live lives like we should, to be in correct alignment with who we've been made to be, who we've been intended to be. We need community. He made us in his image needing the church. And so let's pray this morning. Let's, let's thank him for, for the intention that, that he made us and created us as the church to be. So God, we do thank you this morning that that you've intended these great things for us. You prayed the prayer over us that said that you want us to be one, just like you and the Father are one. And God, we pray that over ourselves, that we, we might have this bigger picture of what church is, that we're called to be one church. We're, we're called to be in unity. We're called to be holy. We're called to be universally minded, Catholic minded, that the whole world, the, the, the church in the whole world, is your church, is your body. And finally, we're called to worship you in a true manner, worship you according to the apostles' teaching, the teaching of the Bible. That, God, we don't want a misrepresentation of who you are, but we want to worship you in, in purity and truth. And so, God, we pray these things over ourselves. We thank you that you've intended these awesome and great things of us. So, God, we leave here excited to, to be the church, not to go to church, but to be the church. God, we're excited to do that. We love you. We praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody, you're dismissed. Big church starts in a little while, but there's time to meet and greet, so don't leave here without meeting a few peeps. Peace out.